The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Twenty twenty Cincinnati Bengals training camp is underway, and we've got you covered here on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, part of SB Nation's Cincy Jungle podcast channel. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined by John Sheeran. John, we have received our first looks, in a way, from afar, of Joe Burrow throwing to AJ Green, throwing to some of his new teammates, a new look Cincinnati Bengals team on the field. I'm excited. I know the fans are excited. I'm sure you are as well, buddy. How you doing? It's been so long, like these past six months between Burrow finishing his career to this point with everything that happened. It just, I, I know that I guess it's been delayed about a week in terms of when we would normally first see them out there, mm-hmm. but it, it it feels like such so so much longer than it actually has been with everything that's happened. So it's it, it's now here and now it's kind of coming out as full force. And I guess we're going to try to handle as best that we can. We are. We've got some news to get to. We're not going to rehash some news that if you joined us Monday or listened after the fact on Monday, I took the airwaves and kind of ran through both Bengals news and NFL news. We're not going to rehash a ton of that stuff. We're going to talk specifically about one position group and some news around that, analyze that. We're going to talk some Joe Mixon and some comments and possible contract extension stuff that has been going on and some cryptic tweets on his end that he's been throwing out there. And John and I, we also, what we're going to tie in, I guess, our soundbite of the week with that. Uh, and it's actually one of our own, so we'll get to that in just a little bit. We're going to have a fun little game, a little word association game. Just name off some people and players and coaches and all that kind of stuff for the Cincinnati Bengals and uh, see where that goes. We haven't we haven't pre-scripted that. We are just going to say some names, and we're going to see where that takes us and play uh, play psychologist, I guess, for, for a couple of minutes and go from there. And then, of course, we'll wrap things up with our – potential Bengals breakout players of the week so far. We've already unveiled that for a couple of weeks. So uh, catch up on some past episodes on some of the other names that we have put out on that list for you. Before we get to some news, as we always do to start the program, uh, I do want to remind folks to get this program subscribed. There should be a subscribe button right under John 
there if you're joining us on YouTube. So subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already. That way you get notified when we go live, when new material is available, whether it's from John and I or whether it's from Matt Minnick, who does the Chalk Talk episodes, and he's been doing some great breakdowns of positional uh, positional groups and uh, forthcoming the coaches, actually. So he's been doing a lot of work there. Uh, John and I are bringing you at least two, if not three, episodes per week. By the way, we'll be doing listener questions this Friday, so please try and join us for that and submit yours to us. So we'll be coming at you Friday afternoon with that, as we usually do. And get the other shows that are on the audio slate, the Cincy Jungle audio slate of podcasts, Orange is the New Black from Ace and Zim, and uh, as I mentioned, Chalk Talk. We have been having DNH Sports. Uh, they may have a little announcement for folks too, so uh, keep it keep it to DNH Sports as well. Um, they may have some exciting news going forward, but uh, we appreciate the support of this show and the channel as a whole. Thanks for tuning in live or downloading after the fact. Well, let's get that out of the way, John. Let's talk about some news. The Bengals have made some acquisitions and released some players. Some players have opted out of the season. Uh, Isaiah Prince and Josh Tupo have opted out of the season. Last time we took the air, John, we kind of talked about that a little bit. And we I kind of said, you know, I expect at least a couple of Bengals to, to be on that, how high profile they were. We don't know. Tupo uh, is a bit of a, a loss, and that's kind of where we're going to focus on most of the news today. Just to get you caught up, though, the Bengals did bring in um, Brandon Allen earlier this week as a, as a veteran backup quarterback, as well as Tristan Vizcaino, a uh, backup kicker to, to maybe bring a little competition to Randy Bullock. Um, I mentioned Tupo and Prince have opted out of the season. Um, and, you know, the Bengals are kind of tweaking some different things on the roster, but also, we talked about Ryan Glasgow, a guy who has been released because he failed his physical. Um, you've got Rennell Wren now on the NFI list, as well as Xavier Suofilo, the, the lone free agent offensive lineman acquisition. So let's focus, though, on defensive tackle, John. And I, I know you're going to tell us in just a minute about some Lou Anarumo comments that he recently said, but this is a really tough tough road for the Bengals to endure right now because Josh Tupo opted out. Rennell ran on the NFI list. By the way, Richard Skinner said that's, you know, via Zach Taylor, probably not that serious, but still not out there right now. And, you know, you've got Glasgow out of the lineup. This, the Bengals really made an effort, John, to bolster that defensive line, bring a rotation up front. And now defensive tackle is really decimated from a lot of different, a lot of, for a lot of different reasons. Like I know, Tupo is not the most known player on the Bengals roster, but technically I think you can consider him now as a starter in the air quotes as a, as a guy who would have been on the field first. Cause I think now you have a Bengals defense where your base defense has three defensive tackles and you have Tupo who could have played the nose tackle who play, could have played the five technique, a position that he was very effective in last year, especially towards the later part of last year. So Tupo is the main loss here, obviously it sucks for Isaiah Prince because you know, it was a possibility that he could have maybe made some noise in a, in a position group with so much uncertainty as the offensive line. But yeah, with Ryan Glasgow now now gone, I don't know where he's going to end up. Tupo is looking for 2021. You have Geno Atkins, DJ Reader, Rennell Wren, Andrew Brown, and then a couple of undrafted guys and Tyler Clark and Trey Deshaun. You need at least four guys there on the week one roster who you can feel comfortable dressing and have activated because... Yeah, you, you still need to play at least three of them for 
20% of your plays. And then I think Lou Inarumo just, just commented today in, in his first press conference. He said something very interesting where he said, you know, the, there's sub packages now. It's not two linebackers. It's two defensive tackles, which basically signals that like defense as a whole is, it just has two linebackers, two off ball linebackers. Now there's no more three linebacker sets as a, a predominant sub package or pa- scheme for this defense, right? It's just two linebackers. Then you either have five defensive linemen or four defensive linemen. When you have four defensive linemen, that is your, t- your typical nickel or your, your normal sub package when you're facing passing downs, but you need three defensive tackles now for the scheme that they're trying to run. And they're just fairly low, low on guys right now. Like Renell Rand is on the non-football injury list. Tupo is now out. So you, you would like for Andrew Brown to kind of step up and be that three technique that he should have been from day one and just stop messing him, messing around with putting him on the edge and whatnot. And then you think, okay, are they going to add another body there? Are they going to, are they going to utilize the fact that they have K- Kendall Fultrell who's still on the COVID reserve list? So technically they have 79 guys on the active roster. Or are they going to use that spot to bring in a defense tackle? And then there are a couple names that can do that, but how are they going to address this? Are they going to prioritize getting that nose three technique? It's going to be interesting to see which name they bring in, but they definitely need at least one more name in order to have enough depth to run the scheme that they want to run. Do any of the names you may have heard floating around as potential options for the Bengals interest you? Uh, to me, there's Demata Pico, whose name has been floating around. Apparently there is mutual interest there, or at least some interest on Pico's end to return to Cincinnati. He was with Baltimore last year, was with Denver prior to that, and then obviously spent 11 seasons with Cincinnati. He is entering what would be his 15th season, I believe, John. So, mm-hmm. uh, but apparently he's in good shape. And if you know, if, if you know about Pico's career, he's actually been a picture of, of pretty solid health throughout. And that's why he's been able to play 15 seasons. He knows the AFC North. Um, so there are a lot of things that are appealing on that, but I also think as fans, you kind of maybe tend to romanticize a player like that. A guy who lasted in Cincinnati for a while, had a solid career with the team. There were some ups and downs, but overall a solid career, especially for a fourth round pick. So, I mean, that's one of the names out there. PJ Hall, a a former second round pick, a a more undersized defensive tackle. Um, I think he's about 6'1", 6'2", and 300 pounds or so. A a former second round pick in 2018 by the Raiders, already cut by them, who, by the way, also cut Jeremy Hill after (laughs) (laughs) having him for like an hour. Uh, and, And there's some other names there too. I mean, is this, is, are any of those names interesting you? Do you want to wait till Ren gets healthy because it doesn't sound like it's very serious and go from there and maybe, like you said, rely on he and Brown? So I think it's fine to still have expectations for Rennell Ren to jump into a bigger role. I think ideally you would want him to essentially replace what Josh Tupa would have been for this team this year as a guy who can man multiple spots along this front can provide just a stout presence against the run. That's all fine and dandy, but you still probably need another body there. And I think that's why there's interest in grabbing one of these names off the market with Pecco. Honestly, like the, the, the last handful of years he was with the Bengals, he was pretty much a liability on what, what, what was a very good defense. You know, it, it was, it was definitely the time for him to go, when, when they parted ways for him after the 2015 or 2016 season, they drafted Andrew Billings to essentially be his replacement. Pecco just needed a fresh start. He, was, he still had a couple of good years left in him, and he proved that by going to Denver, becoming more of a true 3-4-0 tech nose tackle mm-hmm. in that scheme. And he had probably his two best years of his entire career with the Denver Broncos. He was right. a staple of consistency and, as you mentioned, health 
with the Bengals, but he was never really that much of an average player at, at the position. He had a couple of highs specifically early in his career with the Bengals, but he saw a legitimate career resurgence with, with the Broncos. The only problem was he was already in his early thirties. So, you know, the, the lifespan of his career is, is already limited at this point. I think he was with the Baltimore Ravens for a couple of games last year and he had a pretty high variant um, type of, of short season for him as well. So I know Pecco is obviously known in this fan base and I guess there's mutual interest for both sides, but he is by, he's not the only one that they should consider a guy that hasn't really been talked about is Mike Daniels. He used to play for the green Bay Packers a few years ago. And then I think he played for the lions uh, last year, maybe another year before. I think he's only 32 years old. And I know that uh, he and Gino at least follow each other on Instagram and then commenting on each other's other's posts. I think there's some type of relationship with with that, but Daniels can provide a presence at at the three technique spot. But also at this point, he's lost a lot of athleticism and explosion, so he might just be more suited to be a nose tackle in that sense. Timmy Jernigan is another name that has been brought up. He was a former Baltimore Raven. He went with the Eagles, and I think he's still a free agent now. Um, With with P.J. Hall, he was interesting as well. Like He was a guy that I think most people pegged as a high upside day three pick, and then all of a sudden the Raiders took him in the second round, and it was like, okay, well, I guess he's going to have a prominent role with them. And he was highly productive, highly athletic coming out of college. I think it was Sam Houston State or some small school in Texas. But unfortunately, he the Vikings tried to trade for him, then he failed a physical with them, which is why that trade never even went through. So um, it, it's a question of if he's even healthy right now to be signed by a team. But if he is, I think he's an extremely low-risk, high-reward signing for the Bengals for a team that needs snaps at that position. So there are options. And I know a lot of people are saying um, that, you know, defensive tackles who are available have a lot of leverage right now because I think at least 10 of the 50-something players that have opted out of the season have been defensive tackles. And I think half of them have been just, just been trench players, offensive linemen and defense linemen in general. So there's definitely c- competition on the market for those players right now. And I think Pecco makes sense in that sense, but he's far from the only viable option. He might not even be the best option for what they need. Hall, you, your comments on Hall are spot on and really that's a guy that fits at least until this until this last free agency period it's a guy who would have normally fit the Bengals kind of waiver wire free agency type of pickup former high pick disappointed got let go of his former team could be had on a on a cheap deal maybe he finds lightning in a bottle with the Bengals for a year or two as he tries to uh, regain his reputation, and maybe that's maybe that's where that move makes sense. I, I like. There, there's another comment in here. I think it was maybe Brian Kramer said Hall loved his couch and Pizza Hut too much while social distancing. I don't know if that was. Uh, I didn't read too closely into why Hall is currently unemployed, but maybe that maybe there is a conditioning issue there as, along with the injury stuff. But um, you know that to me that is where it makes a lot of sense in terms of youth maybe reaching a potential getting a manageable deal by the Bengals that that makes a lot of sense i think you know like i said the fans want to romanticize a reunion with pico i i don't know how effective that would be at this point but uh who who knows uh the point is and we'll move on here in just a second but are, are you a little worried now? Because now the Bengals invested so much. They they brought back Tupo. They had DJ Reader. 
Um, you know, they, they were looking a lot better up front after being gashed all last year, especially in the run game and just not doing, uh, you know, not doing really anything of note on defense. And that's not all on the defensive line, but they really bolstered that front seven, eight players to really assist in tackling. I think a huge part of it is to bottle up the Ravens attack, but they did a lot up front to remedy the issues and help Luana Rumo. And now you, you know, they've got two or three guys in the teeth of that defense that they wanted to rotate in that are not going to be available. How worried are you? I'm not tremendously worried because the, in the grand scheme of things, the, the depth of your defensive tackles is not too pertinent to get all worked up about, I think in general, especially when your starters are, you know, Atkins and DJ reader, but yeah, the, the intrigue of rotating those guys anymore. That was like, that's a luxury that they could afford when they had those bodies. Now that they still have bodies, it's just not as many as, as they originally intended to. I think if you just replace uh, Ryan Glasgow with Andrew Brown and on, on your game plan in your scheme, you replace Rennell around with Josh Tupo and you got another player in there, whoever, whoever's on the market that fits what you want to do. If you have five guys going into this version of training camp and have them play in these intra squad scrimmages that will act as preseason games. You'll be, you'll be comfortable in finding four or five guys that you feel will make an impact on the week one roster. And then again, you still have those undrafted free agents who I think were the most, most well-known, I guess guys who had the best chance of being drafted uh, for before the 10 undrafted free agents that they ended up signing. So I'm not worried too much, especially because apparently Ren's injury is not too serious. I mean, guys who start, camp on the NFI list that it, it's basically just giving them more time to rehab whatever they were dealing with, but it's not so much of a, of an issue where you have to worry about if it's going to linger into the regular season. I believe he ended last year in IR and he's been rehabbing. I think we had him on uh, for an interview with DNA sports and he was looking good. He was talking about the work that he's been doing over the off season. So I think he's healthy enough where it's not going to be a problem going into the regular season or even this portion of training camp. So I'm fine with the guys that they have. I would like them to have one more, whoever that guy is. I don't think it's going to matter too much, but yeah, the loss of Tupo, it, it stings a little bit, but they'll, they'll recover fine. The other element we, I feel like we say this every week, but the other element to this, if the Bengals don't get a Jernigan, a Pico, uh, you know, I saw Damon Harrison is a name out there. Mike Daniels, you mentioned him. If the Bengals don't, go after one of those guys right now it's possible that they wait and they see who who ends up getting cut down the road and make a waiver wire acquisition or a free agency acquisition later on shortly before the season that is definitely still an option for them but aside from you know the Brandon Allen Tristan Vizcaino and you know some other uh, ons and offs of the roster for, for some players. We wanted to really focus in on the defensive tackle because that's where a lot of the attrition has, has seemingly hit uh, in recent days. So um, you look like you got something else, John. Uh, I saw Anthony Beasley in the comment section mention a name I haven't heard of in a while, Deshaun Williams. Yeah. He used to play for the Bengals about a handful of years ago. I, I, that's how, and we've talked about this so many times on the show. I feel like that's how dire the situation was behind Geno Atkins, where we saw a guy in Deshaun Williams who went to Clemson. He went to a big program. He played with some formidable guys there, like him being an undrafted guy showing promise in preseason. I'm like, I'm all in on this guy being a compliment to Geno Atkins. And that's how dire the situation was of how 
badly they kept missing on defensive tackles to fill in the exact role that they're still trying to do and find a guy that can supplement him at that position. I don't even know if he's still playing football. I don't know the last time he has played football, but the name kind of brings back some memories. Yeah, side note, I have to pat myself on the back about Deshaun Williams as well as good friend of this show, Cody Toomey. He and I went to the NFL PA Bowl a handful of years ago and we're kind of watching players at practice and stuff. And we had that guy, Deshaun Williams. We we had the rosters of everybody and we're like, we got to keep an eye on this guy. And we were down there on the sidelines watching him. We're like, this guy looks good, man. He looks he he really stood out in those practices and in that game as just a quality player. And when the Bengals picked him up, I was I was pretty excited. Never, I mean, he was like a preseason hero, made a couple plays here and there in the regular season, never really materialized into a truly effective regular season player for him. But I, I, I fondly remember Cody and I watching that guy going, wow, this guy's this guy's pretty solid from Clemson, you know. Um, and then when the Bengals got him, we were pretty excited. So, uh, yeah, but, you know, at any rate, I, I don't know that that's a viable option at this point either. And to right. your point, John, about the Bengals missing on defensive tackle, you can look back a handful of years ago to the Devin Still Brandon Thompson draft. Um, one of those guys could or should still be on this roster and playing effectively for this team. And both of those guys never really materialized. I think Devin Still, we understand why his NFL career was a bit derailed. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, those guys never really materialized. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Let's move on to a player that has materialized into a quality draft pick for the Cincinnati Bengals. And yet again, he has entered top headlines and a lot of Twitter conversation based on his own tweets, based on my co-host talking about him with some various fans on Twitter, and just a lot of uh, scuttlebutt, to use an old school term, about Joe Mixon. Uh, I did hear from, and he's in the live Facebook chat, Mike Holbrook, good friend of the show. Uh, he told me and uh, informed us in the live chats that he thinks, or he has heard that Joe Mixon has put on about 20 pounds of muscle this year. I don't know. I, I don't know how accurate that is, but uh, I mean, I don't, and I don't know how he could, he was already a big enough, bulky enough guy. Um, but in some pictures I've seen, he looks still really built. Um, so it's quite possible that he has added on some bulk. But nevertheless, the talk this offseason, John, has been about Joe Burrow getting an extension. Should they? Shouldn't they? How much should it be? So before we get to kind of our – we're going to tie in a soundbite of the week in just a minute. I, I know you have kind of have a certain position that may or may not be popular amongst some fans with the team. But let's reassess where we're at with this thing. The Bengals are still trying to get a deal done with him, apparently. Mixon is open to returning to the Bengals, and reports have him at least wanting $8 million a year on average, um, which puts him really in within the top 10 of paid running backs in the league. So that that's kind of where we sit right now. We're going to get to Duke Tobin's comments in a minute, but knowing that, 
I, I don't know if you want to preface that with some initial comments before we get to the the sound bite that we have and and some of Duke Tobin's recent comments. Like he's he's gonna get signed. Uh, it, it's an inevitability at this point. It, it's too heavily speculated. There's too much talk amongst Duke Tobin and Taylor and just the front office in general about going through this entire offseason. Negotiations have been happening throughout the offseason, and I, I think. Mixon's not really hiding it. Well, like he's basically announcing to the world, like it's happening. It's going through the process right now. The I don't think the issue necessarily is them valuing Mixon with a, a certain number com- compared to what where he is amongst other top running backs. I think the reason why this hasn't happened yet is because they want to see finalized guys opting out to see where their cap situation is right now. And then I guess the biggest thing is the cap situation next year because it is going to shrink to at the bare like it's going to be at least i think 175 million which is 23 million smaller yeah. or lower than yeah. what it is this year and that's just that's just like the baseline of what it's going to be so there are implications for next year and next year's free agency class and what what their financial plan is for getting guys other guys extensions and you know giving them raises respectively so there is that variable to account for I don't think it's a matter of if the Bengals value Joe Mixon enough to give him a, a contract that does put him in the top eight or top 10 running back salaries. I think that's essentially given to this point. It's just th- those are the other factors that are just holding the steel for right now. But I think in a week's time, we're probably going to see Joe Mixon sign with the Bengals for the next four or five years. I believe that is the case as well especially when the Bengals didn't get a long-term deal done with A.J. Green, not to say that they won't in the future. But I think the Bengals just love getting these types of deals done with their younger core players in the summer, the summer before a season starts and the summer before they're set to hit free agency. They like to get that done. And a lot of times when they get those deals done, you look back to some of the deals that they they did with Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, uh, even like a Tyler Boyd, you look back at some of these deals and you say, Hey, you know, that, that was actually kind of team friendly. I mean, they, they paid the guy well, but it ended up based on the frenzy that occurs in free agency in March, the Bengals end up kind of making these, these pretty nice deals for themselves while keeping and paying some of their core players. Well, I expect Mixon to be that I fully see some of the positions, especially that you've taken John, where you say, you know, you just don't pay a running back like that. Even one who may be an outlier, like a Joe Mixon, but I've also said, you know, if the Bengals can keep him for under that double-digit million per year, if they can get him for an eight to nine million, I think that's manageable. And I think I do think that Joe Mixon is a top, top five, top ten back in this league. And I think he provides a lot of value. And I think that there is a he is a player that a young quarterback, at least in his first year or two, can maybe lean on, especially in a year with such a wacky, a rookie year where he's going to have such a wacky offseason in terms of preparation and all of that. Um, I, I do think there is value there. Now, once we get to $10 million plus per year, I start to get uncomfortable, and I think you brought up a very good reason about the salary cap reduction as a reason for that. I, I don't quite understand what the difference is, though, between like – eight and 11 million, I guess. I think for the most part, it's almost like a non-starter because like someone, someone told me today, like if, if, if the Bengals can sign Joe Mixon to an average annual value of half a Christian McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey, I think is making 16 million a right. year in terms of new money. If Joe Mixon theoretically signs for like eight or nine, if they can get him for half of, of Christian McCaffrey, he's absolutely worth it. Like e- even if it is a fraction of McCaffrey, it's still 
a lot of money, a good chunk of money for a player that plays a position that statistically does not help you win that very many football games. So I think it's regardless of what it's going to be, it's going to be manageable with their own salary cap. It's going to be, it's not going to prevent them this year from doing anything on offense. I think there's another argument when it comes to coaches justifying those contracts by implementing that person into the gameplay more into the game plan more to kind of justify the salary that they're putting with it like that. But no, this contract isn't going to necessarily prohibit the Bengals from doing anything like the Todd Gurley contract prohibited the Rams from doing stuff. It's just every fan base does this. Every time a running back gets extended, this time it's going to be different. You know, we can talk about what makes Joe Mixon an outlier all we want, but every fan base does this. Every team does this to themselves. It never works for anybody else, but it might work for us. And it won't be the Derrick Henry contract. It won't be Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, Ezekiel Elliott, Christian McCaffrey, or Todd Gurley for that for that point. It's going to be somewhere pretty low, lower than that. It's going to be more manageable for the salary cap. Regardless what the price tag is, though, odds are it just won't be worth it. Do you so here's a question and again and we'll get to some sound bites and some quotes by uh Duke Tobin in just a, just a second but would you would you say that I I kind of get the feeling and and this is actually kind of my stance at it Joe Mixon is either borderline or is an elite player at one of the most de- devalued positions in NFL football would you would you agree with that assessment or would you say yeah he's pretty good I think he's entering that upper echelon of running backs uh, of in, t- in terms of overall talent. When, when you get to actual like value, what helps you like win? I, I think if the most valuable running back in the NFL right now is Christian McCaffrey, because he helps the Panthers with the passing game, even with the season that he just had, the Panthers ranked, I think 28th in total offense by DVOA. Like they were a bottom 10 offense because the passing game just wasn't good. Like going back to 2006, Damian Tomlinson scored like 28 touchdowns for the Chargers and had like yeah, 2,000 yards in, in, t- in total yards per scrimmage. PFF, their wins above replacement metric, put them at 0.34 wins above replacement, which is three times the average wins above replacement for a running back that plays significant snaps. But the average, about the average wins above replacement for quarterbacks who won the MVP for the past 15 years is about four wins above replacement. It, it's like... The, the difference between Joe Mixon and the average running back is still pretty sizable, but it's all relative to that position compared to every other position on the NFL, especially the ones that help you win football games. So I, I've never, I've never contended with the fact that Joe Mixon is a talented running back. I would firmly place him in the top 10 running backs in terms of overall talent, overall ability. The fact that he's only 24, his athleticism paired with his size. I think, I think there is something to be said about him being a leader in the locker room. I, I understand all of that, okay? And and we can rationalize this all that we want. But I, I think the Bengals are dead set on extending him because he's just the player that they like, and they're not taking into the fact into account that no matter how good he, that he is, no matter how much he produces, he just doesn't help them win very many football games compared to other positions that are more valuable. I didn't ask that question to nail you to the wall. I asked that question because... Quite honestly, that's something that I weigh with this situation, right? I mean, I, where you go, okay, well, you don't want to pay running backs, but he's really good. And running backs, for the statistics that you mentioned, don't really help you win games. But Joe Mixon also 
potentially helps you in, in a weird way not lose games. There's a there's a statistic that Matt Ellison in the live Facebook chat, dude doesn't fumble though, and there's a pro football focus. I think it, the last 500 touches that Joe Mixon has had, he's never lost a fumble. Now we probably just cursed the hell out of him right there, but <laughs> uh, I mean there is value in that. So I mean it's it's sure so that, there, there absolutely is value, and, and I'm, I'm not sure. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, like because like because now people are saying you know if you don't want, if you don't want to pay him eight million, what would you rather pay him? I think like four to five million is pretty fair. I think I think that's fair for a running back who's uberly talented that you can feature in the running game in the pass game and that doesn't it, it, it essentially it, it it's it's opportunity cost, man. It, it, I know that as Bengals fans and as people who cover the Bengals, we look at them and say if they don't pay Mixon, then who are they going to pay? Because they're not going to pay another starting guard. They're not going to pay another starting linebacker that money. They might as well give it to Mixon. But that's not the the approach that you have to take here. You have to take it from an objective approach that you look at for every other team. If we clown other teams for paying running backs a lot of money that takes up a good portion of salary cap and use that money instead of paying for another more valuable player, then we have to use that same logic for the Bengals as well. So, I, and 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 also I, like. If when Joe Mixon gets paid, I will be happy for him because he's done all the right things and he's managed to take advantage of a market inefficiency and and set himself up for life for potentially what is going to be the only big contract of his career. But I think if you had to quantify it, no matter how much the Bengals do pay him, it will be more than what Mixon will be worth in terms of winning football games. Yeah, and, and you know I think some people may listen to your four or five million a year. Uh, value and scoff a little bit. I don't disagree with you on that necessarily where I disagree is unfortunately that's not where the market's been set. Right. Um, exactly. So it's just, it's, that's just not a realistic figure for a guy like Mixon um, based on that. Let me, let me do this here. We're going to, I'm going to show you, and this is from cincyjungle.com, uh some comments recently by Duke Tobin. We're going to, we're going to talk about this in a press conference, a virtual press conference, of course, uh, by Duke Tobin speaking with the media, and this is via Joe Daneman of Fox 19 in Cincinnati. Um, basically, no matter what we're saying here, John, and no matter for those of you who are in the don't sign a running back camp, it doesn't seem to be part of the argument in the Bengals' minds. Duke Tobin on Joe Mixon contract talks versus the value of running back position. It's less about the value of the position and more about the person and the player. And he's valuable to us. He's an important guy that we'd like to have here. I mean, that's pretty cut and dry right there. I'm going to play this as well. I'm going to share this. For those of you that maybe didn't see or hear this, it's actually, it's audio, but we do have it up on our YouTube channel as well as our audio channels. Back in January, I said it was the combine, but I think it was actually the senior bowl that you and, and uh, Joe Goodberry, formerly of the locked on Bengals podcast, you had, you both just, it's pretty cool. You both had a kind of a little intimate sit down with, with Duke Tobin. And I think it was just you two. There wasn't other media members in there. So pretty cool opportunity that you got to sit down with that. And, and for those who have not seen or heard this interview, we're going to play a portion of it. Um, now this doesn't have to do with Joe, John asked this question and it was centered around the draft as was much of the talk at that time, because obviously they were at a scouting event. But if these comments by Duke Tobin seem surprising to you in terms of we do, we value the player, not the position. I want to go back and this is kind of our soundbite of the week. I want to go back and play just a minute or so 
of this interview that uh, with John and Joe Goodberry had with Duke Tobin talking about the value of players and how they value players to preface this, John, do you remember the question that we're specifically referencing? It was about day one, day two, day three talent. Um, I I don't know if you want to preface kind of what we're talking about with the question you posed to him before we play it. I think it was more about um, um, player grades and whatnot. And like essentially putting like a, like a like either a round grade or something, depending on how valuable that player is in terms of what position that he plays and all, all that stuff like that. It was it was pretty it was specific. It was try to it was intended to be a specific question, but he gave a really broad answer. But he actually gave me a lot more than I was I was hoping for. So this is a good answer here. Yeah, and and it's it really again kind of plays into this this comment here. So we're gonna play this here. Hopefully, no ads pop up there, <laughs> but uh, we're gonna play this here. Uh, so bear with us. Like first round prospect or day three prospect, it kind of gets thrown around a lot. It's almost kind of subjective from team to team. They have different types of qualifications for what determines that. Do you think that that subject that subjectivity kind of hinders just a general better way of evaluating prospects, or do you just feel like it's just a we don't buy of, into what we read on guys? Right, we, of we, we we grade them according to what they've done on tape and how we feel about them and what the research has told us. Um, you know, when I first started scouting, there wasn't a day three. There wasn't even a day two. It was, you know, one day. So those are new terms. Those are buzzwords. But those those terms don't really matter to us. Now, he might be a fourth-round talent. He might be a fifth-round talent. He, he might not have the ability to improve our position that we currently have, but he's a second-round talent. And so you have to understand your own team and then understand what you're getting in that guy that's walking in the door. You're getting a second-round talent that's probably not going to be able to start for you right away. Is that what we want? Sometimes it is. Sometimes we know we're going to have a need there in a year, and we want that young guy coming on. So this perceived value to what the roster is, that kind of determines where you would slot him based off like the round projection. We, we slot him by their ability level only, and then we determine, then we determine how they fit on our football team. So there'll be position groups maybe where we feel like we're void, where you can get Bengal starters all the way down through the end of the third round or fourth round. Um, now the talent level, you're getting a fourth rounder and you realize you're starting a fourth round talent. But for us, that guy's going to start. You know, for other teams, he might be the fifth corner, say, you know, but you understand what you're getting in the talent. You don't take a fourth round talent, drive him up to the second round because you need a guy at that position. You understand what you're getting. But, but we put lines in on our board of where we feel the starters end for us on our current football team. And so we understand, you know, what we're getting when the guy walks in the door. We're getting. So, John, I mean, again, this that was more of a da- draft-centric statement by Duke Tobin. But I, I think the parallels, I, I hope our listeners and I think – you as well, maybe see the parallel that we're trying to draw here between his comments on Joe Mixon and his comments about draft prospects, how they view them. It's it's how the player affects the roster. It's not so much the position. It is the position in some ways, but how the player and his talent affects the overall roster outlook and what they can give them today, tomorrow, a couple of years down the road. 
And I'll tell you what, like I'll say with a straight face, like Joe Mixon is by far the most talented running back that the Bengals have. He's more talented than the running back that they could draft next year outside of the first round. He's the best option in terms of just putting the best player at that position. If, and if that's the avenue of what they want to look at as, as value, along with the other subjective intangible factors such as leadership, such as personal growth, such as locker presence, that is, if that's the value that they want to look at, that's perfectly fine. But again, it goes back to looking at the reality of what the market is, what the what the actual taint objective statistical value of the position is. And you can't just flat out just be unconcerned or just push that to the side, which is essentially what Tobin did in his press conference the other day. When he says we don't we, we're not concerned about the value of the running back position. We're concerned about the value of Joe Mixon himself. And I just think that's just a ludicrous statement to make for a comment like this, for a decision that could greatly impact the, the overall overarching picture of, of what your salary is going, salary cap is going to look like, and what your roster is going to look like. And again, like it, I, I, like I threw out the four to $5 million price range because I know that he would never take that. And I know that he would have to look at, at the open market for another answer, but that's just how this kind of works. If, if you're forced to enter and to feed into a market inefficiency for a player that doesn't really impact your team that much, then your best option is to just not pay that player. If the only way that you can retain a player is to overpay him based off what he's actually worth, then the best option, the most objectively best option for you is to just not pay him. But that's not going to be what happens. The Bengals are going to pay him. They're going to pay him for the next four to five years. They're going to feature him as their starting running back. And everyone is going to be happy with that because Joe Mixon is a very popular player in the locker room and in the fan base. And everyone's going to be happy. But in terms of what makes a smart decision, Duke Tobin is ignoring what the facts are telling him based off of other realities that he's not really putting into this equation. One aspect of this that puts me more in the sign him and give him a, a big contract type of camp. And I waver, I go back and forth, but I, I, you know, I do see the value he brings to the team. One of the things though, is, you know, if you're, if the team isn't spending that money on keeping Kevin Zeitler, keeping Andrew Whitworth, signing high, high priced free agent offensive linemen that are going to vastly improve your football team. If you're not going to spend that money there, then I guess you spend it on the running back who has proven he can be effective behind a subpar offensive line because the Bengals seem unwilling to make a, they, they spend money on Bobby Hart, but they won't spend money to potentially replace him with a, replace him with a high price guy. They, they did not spend money on anybody else besides Xavier Suofilo in free agency. They spent a sixth round pick on an offensive lineman this year. Yeah, they spent a first-round pick last year, but you saw what happened a few years ago. They lost Whitworth. They lost Eitler because they didn't want to pay him. The line has never been the same. So if you're not going to pay those guys to pave the way for a lot of backs to be successful, much less a Joe Mixon, then I guess you got to pay Joe Mixon and use that money to a guy that I, I guess is effective behind a bad line. I feel like they did the exact thing with Zeitler. They were never going to offer him – what the market dictated that he was worth, they recognized. <laughs> right. Like, like if they had working eyeballs, they could have recognized that Kevin Zyler was a really damn good guard and a guy that, that fits everything that 
that they look for in terms of retaining a player, but they literally looked at the position that he plays, said, we don't value this position to be paid over $10 million a year. They didn't even offer him any any type of deal that he would entertain. They basically said, just go and test the market because you're going to get a lot more. Yet they're, they're treating Joe Mixon differently. And I don't know if they're just learning from that mistake that they made. Regardless, it just seems like an inconsistency in their own philosophy. Like, I, I, I just, I, I, and again, like, the Bengals do spend money now. Like, they just had the most active free agency right. in the history of their team. So I don't even know if that argument makes sense anymore either. Like, they are going to spend money because if they want to spend money, they do spend the money. But now they just want to spend it on Joe Mixon. So I, I don't I don't think that argument even makes sense any, anymore either. Anyways. Well, I think you and I both agree. I, I, I think this deal is going to get done. Uh, I think I think both sides want to get it done. What it looks like is obviously going to remain to be seen. How that affects a long-term deal for guys like A.J. Green, maybe some others that they want to sign for a couple of years, especially with the salary cap proposed dip next year. We'll see what happens there. But I think as we sit here right now in early August, um, we're, we're expecting probably within the next couple of weeks that a deal will be announced uh, for better, for worse. Um, but, you know, Joe Mixon, in in a lot of ways, even despite the position he has played, he has earned a new contract. He's been productive behind a bad offensive line coming into the, the, the NFL with character red flags. He has been nothing but an altar boy since. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's, he, in a lot of ways he has proved it. It's just the argument stems from, does it make sense from a Bengal standpoint or does it not? And that's, that's where, you know, that's where the debate is. Go get that money, Joe. You're a running back. You may not ever see another contract that, that, like this. Go get that money when you sign the dotted line. I will be proud of you because you've done a lot of growth. I I was not a fan of the pick when it happened because of everything that surrounded him. But ever since then, he's done all the right things. And this is the only time he's going to get be able to get a deal like this. Get that money. Get the bag. I'll be happy for you. Echo those sentiments totally. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We got a little more to get to before we get on out of here. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We appreciate those of you joining us live, or if you have joined us later on and downloaded the program on one of our audio platforms, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, um, or one of our video platforms, whether that's Cincy Jungle's Facebook page or our own YouTube channel. There is a subscribe button on one of the corners here of the of the YouTube video, so click that and subscribe. And all of our stuff is on CincyJungle.com as well as other of the podcasts that are on that, that's on Cincy Jungle's podcast channel. We thank you for your support. We thank you for tuning in um, this week and all of the weeks ahead as we go towards the regular season. I don't know how we're going to do this, John, because like my piece at the beginning, we didn't really prep this one. We prep, we prep some things before the show. And uh, so we at least don't look like we're just stumbling around, not knowing what we're talking about. This one was just kind of a fun little thing that we came up with. And uh, I don't know how this is going to go. We can make it real quick. We can make it long. I don't know, but we're going to do a little word association game. I think we're going to start and we're just going to kind of volley names back and forth. And the, the thing is here, we're going to say a name of a player or coach, preferably current, and we're going to say a one word or a real brief phrase describing that player, and then a little reasoning behind why you went with that phrase. So 
Do you want to be put on the spot first, John, or do you want me to be put on the spot first? I always want to be put on the spot first. Always. Yeah, we've got you've got Randall backing you up back there, so you've got a little you got a little backup. I don't have that. <laughs> uh, let's let's go with. Yeah, he's going to be chattering in your ear there. Uh, let's go with Jonah Williams. Good. Solid. I, th- I, I, I'm, I'm, I feel like solid's your word. Yes. Solid. Solid is the word because I'm very con- like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a betting man, I guess. I don't really bet that much. But I feel like I, I would be comfortable betting something pretty substantial and saying that Jonah Williams is going to be a good NFL player for the Cincinnati Bengals or forever for wherever he plays the majority of his career. Like I know his career started the same way that a lot of first round picks do for, for the Bengals, but that was a pick that I wasn't entirely expecting. I know they were going to go off its tackle, but I thought it was going to be somebody different. But when they made that pick, it was like a breath of fresh air because they picked a guy that was very good in college, has everything that translates into being a good NFL player at w- whatever position that he lines up on the offensive line. Um, I, I'm, I'm just so confident in him developing and becoming and continuing to be a very good player in the NFL, whether that's a, whether, whether that's a tackle or whether it's, a, if it's that guard. Like I'm incredibly confident that he's just going to be, at the very minimum, a solid NFL player. And anything above that will not surprise me. Agreed. I'm going to stick with the same system group, though, because I had Billy Price in mind for you. Billy Price. Ooh, that's a good one. I hate to do this. Disappointment. Disappointment. And I don't think he's going to crack the starting lineup this year unless it's for spot duty. I was not a fan of the pick when they made it. I... The fact that he was injured in the draft at the time that they picked him, he had like a partially torn peck, I believe, at the time. Uh, the fact that I, I was all in on Frank Ragnow that draft. If you were going to get a center in the first round, you got to go get Frank Ragnow. And what drove me nuts, and still kind of drives me nuts a little bit about this team, is they don't like to move up. They changed their stripes a little bit in free agency this year, but you saw them stay put. And granted, they were at the top of every round this this year, so it didn't really matter. But they do not like to move up and get the guy that I think they truly covet quite often. And they see teams leapfrog them because they know they're not going to move, and they take the guy that they want. And that is precisely what happened. I think the Bengals were all in on Frank Ragnow, and they got – I think it was the Lions that just came right in and and took them right – the pick before – and so the Bengals panicked because they needed a center. And Billy Price was – there was kind of a wide range of opinions at the time. I felt it was quite a reach, and I think we've recorded an episode where I talked about that. I was not very pleased with that pick. I would have been pleased with him if he was a second or third rounder maybe, but not in the first round. Um, and he, be it because of injury, ineffectiveness, whatever, he has not been able to get any kind of footing as a pro. And unfortunately, I just don't see that happening, especially with the log jam at guard this year. I agree. Let's go with Von Bell. Uh, I'm excited. I'm I'm so excited for Von Bell. Like, I I feel with – that's kind of a weird one, but – 
I feel like with this free agency class, like the DJ Reader sign was really good. I think I think the Trey Wayne signing will be okay compared to the money. I think Von Bell is going to be the most valuable player based off of the money that they gave him, and the yeah. one is going to be worth, I guess, every penny. I think in terms of value with the position that he plays, defensive backs are the most valuable position group on on defense and one of the most valuable positions on the entire football field in general. For what he adds to a defense that did that what it didn't have in years past, I got it. You can move around in the backfield. Who can also play in the box? Who could play in the slot? Who could even play a, a pinch of cover too in a, in a deep role? A guy that brings leadership, toughness, tackling ability, just solid man-to-man coverage ability and those underneath routes does a lot of things that a lot of the great safeties in the NFL now, the Derwin James is the Ty- the Tyron Matthews, the Jamal Adams, the guys who move all around, like basically where the hash marks are on, on either side. Don't really play a lot of single high coverage, but can blitz, can play those sh- short hook zones, can match up man and can be a, a stack and shed run defender. Von Bell doesn't get the credit and the acclimation as other top safeties in the NFL do, because for the, for the most part, his career at the Saints was pretty up and down. But when he was asked to do what he does best, and it's play close line of scrimmage, he had his best season with the Saints. And that was the film that got me excited for the signing. I think that's why they wanted to bring him in, because they still want to have Jesse Bates playing deep, but they need somebody more reliable than Sean Williams for what, they, for what Sean Williams gave him last year. I think he's going to come in and be a leader on this defense and be a guy that backs up the money that he got, the talk that he that he brings, and the ability to give you multiple abilities and assets as a defensive player who can play multiple positions. I'm so excited for Von Bell. Excited as well. And I, I like you said, I think they're gonna kind of I don't I hate to use the term pigeonhole, but they're gonna they have a specific role in mind with him, and I think he's gonna be very effective in it. And he's a guy that they have been that they have signed for a couple of years now. And uh, I believe it was Lou Anarumo who came out and recently had some very glowing remarks as to what he's been doing um, for the team. It was one of the coaches. I can't remember offhand, but they were already, they were very impressed with him. I'll throw on Tate your way. We got him thinking. I know. I know. This is supposed to be like an automatic, like, uh, you know, I will use a a brief phrase lost in the shuffle. I'm worried about he he showed a lot last year catching radius, height, all of that. You've got John Ross looking for something to prove. You're going to have AJ Green on the field this year. I, I for how many games I don't know, but I I'm I don't think he'll be as snake bit this year by the injury bug as he's been the past couple of years. You've got Tyler Boyd out there. You've now have T Higgins in the mix. Is Auden Tate your fifth guy? Is Auden Tate your sixth guy? I mean, where, where does he fit in? And and it's a good problem to have because he's depth, he's huge, and the wide receiver position is one of the most talented, if not the most talented, on the Bengals roster right now. But I don't know how he gets on the field very often unless it's maybe goal line, if it's third down and and specific packages. But I do think that if and when he is out there, he could be Joe Burrow's best friend based on his size and catching ability. I I think that's fair because you're right. Like we don't really know what this depth chart looks like for receivers. We don't know um, if Higgins has like a fast track to be one of the starters as the season goes on. 
whether that means Tate is just locked into this complimentary role or if he's just a situational player at this point. But I think um, for, for the amount of hype that he got when he first came into came into the league and first started playing, compared to what he is now, it's just like your fourth or fifth, or fifth guy who you have for emergency depth. I think that fits more than what I think a lot of fans have in mind for him as like a surprise starter that can handle like 100 targets a year. So I think where he is now works for him. But you're right, that, that role is to be yet to be determined at this point. Yeah, and Brian Kramer does say uh, Auden's in amazing shape. Um, yeah, I, I have seen that he has been keeping himself uh, in really good shape so far. But it's just a matter of, you know, how does he – who gets the snaps? Who gets on the field? I mean, maybe there's injuries again, and that paves the way for him. But, I mean, you look at who they have atop that depth chart, it's tough to get to. We'll, we'll just do a few more here, John. Let's go with – I'll kind of stick in that same position group. Let's go with Alex Erickson. No. Not enough, you know. I I there's probably a synonym that's one word that fits that meaning, but that's just really the first thing that comes to my my mind. Yeah, <laughs> insufficient. That's better. Um, I, I, he's literally there just for the brand tape purposes, just hauling in punt returns and running for ten yards. Like I at at a time, I was more confident in him being a slot receiver for the Bengals than Tyler Boyd. This was the early part of 2017 when Boyd. Had some issues, whether it's with the coaching staff or just some personal ones, and he just wasn't really putting it all together in the second year. And Erickson was was keeping around in his second year, and he was starting to be more involved in the offense. But ever since then, like we, we've just seen what Alex Erickson is, and he's just unfortunately he's just a limited player. I think he talked to Jeff Hobson, Bengals.com, and he said like if if he came into the league this year, where they cut down from ninety to 80, 80 players, just like that then Erickson probably wouldn't have made the roster initially that like he was there as like an emergency guy that they gave out of the blue, a, a shot to return a punt in a preseason game. And he returned it for a touchdown or returned it for a long way. And he got more opportunities and eventually kicked Tate off the roster. And he's just been hanging around ever since. And he got a $2 million contract for an undrafted free agent. That's a giant boost in your income. But at this point you have such a stack receiving group with, with, with Tate, with Stanley Morgan, with Damian Willis. That's just the bottom half of the group. Like, Erickson at this point just doesn't provide enough value and the thing that would make him the most value as, as a receiver in, in it, at his core. Like, I, I don't think he's worth the roster spot that they're, they might give to him if he's just there to be just a middling pump returner. And that's really the only reason why he's sticking around, why he might stick around, because they just won't have a lot of in-game opportunities to see anybody else take that role as a pump returner. So if he makes the roster, it's not going to make it any worse, but it's just there's just other options there that just give you more at the receiver spot. Very much of a log jam at that position group. How many more you want to do here, John? I think I started. So you, you at least got one more for me. Otherwise do you want to do one, one more round beyond this one? Or uh, do you want to- I'll give you one more. I'll give you Logan Wilson. Logan Wilson. Again, I'll, I'll cheat a little bit instead of one word. I'll kind of use a small phrase, and, and I'll say what's been missing. For We talked to, by the way, in case – go check this out because I have to gush a little bit. I thought this interview was awesome. We talked to Takeo Spikes last week, and that was a really fun interview. John and I talked to him, got to speak with him for like 20, 25 minutes. But for a long time, ever since Takeo Spikes left, we, we referenced this in the interview, Marvin Lewis looked for – the middle linebacker that uh, tried to be the linchpin of his defense with the, with the Bengals 
that he had in Ray Lewis with Baltimore never really found a guy. He got a little bit from Ray Maluga. He got one great year from Odell Thurman, um, a couple of years from Vontez Burfick, but nothing that was kind of the linchpin of their defense. Now, Logan Wilson does – he's not really that Takeo Spikes guy. He's not that talented, that athletic. Um, and, you know, truth be told, NFL teams are looking for different things out of their linebackers than what Takeo Spikes brought a while ago. But I think that he – at least for the past couple of years is going to stabilize the middle part of that field, the middle part of that defense in a way that Nick Vigil couldn't, uh, you know, all these other pickups, Preston Brown, all of these guys could not. I think Logan Wilson will at least provide steadiness. I don't know if he'll ever be a Pro Bowl player or anything like that. He's got a lot of skills and he's he's got some good tape. I, I don't know that he'll ever be a star player, but I think he will be at least a steady and solid one for the Cincinnati Bengals. And I think it's been what they have been missing at that position group. I, I know he looks pretty similar to Nick Vigil, Nick Vigil on tape, but I just, for some reason, I just have more confidence in him. And just as an athlete in general, as a processor, as a guy who can stack and shed uh, second level blockers as a run defender, and just as a guy who just has more better spatial awareness around him and coverage. I think the ball production speaks for itself, the experience in general. Um, you're looking at him being the guy that's going to take, going to get the first opportunity to get significant snaps from the three linebackers, uh, from the three rookie linebackers that were just drafted. And, you know, it, it wasn't, the, it wasn't the greatest. It wasn't like the sexiest pick. It wasn't like a pick that made you go wow, really when, when it happened. But yeah, I think when you talk about what they, didn't have at that position and what now you're injecting with all in one player as a guy who can be affected on all three downs. He could easily take Josh Bynes' job and spot as the season wears on, because if he is what you think he is, I think that's an asset that, that every team would want as a second level defender, not a guy who, I mean, he still basically looks the mold of a traditional linebacker, but has the fluidity and the speed and the processing ability to handle whatever is in front of him. And that's something that they just haven't had because their linebackers have just been completely trashed. And that's why I think fans overvalue the position now relative to what they've seen in, in years past. But it really just takes a guy like Wilson who you can draft in the middle of the draft to just give you something that you can just hold down for five or 10 years and be okay with. I feel like Vigil was an athlete who played football, whereas Logan Wilson is a football player who happens to be pretty athletic, if that makes sense. I, I just, I feel like there's a little bit more of the football IQ diagnosing of plays that is in the DNA of Logan Wilson, whereas Vigil kind of was more relying on athleticism and uh, more raw talent, I guess. Uh, and it just, it never really materialized. And I, I think for both parties, Vigil went off to Los Angeles to the Chargers now and the Bengals have moved on and really restocked the linebacker group. So that's some word association. We'll probably do a little bit more of that. That was fun. That worked out a lot better than I, I was uh, I was worried about, John. <laughs> got a lot of interaction uh, with the comments too. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll do a little more of this, and maybe maybe next time we'll add in some of these that uh, you know some of these live suggestions of names. Maybe we'll add some of those in next time. Uh, again, we didn't really prepare the specific names. We kind of uh, shot them at each other impromptu but um yeah that was fun let's let's quickly do a uh, one player each this week let's quickly do some 2020 potential breakout players uh i, I guess 
I'll go first this time since you went first for the uh, the improvisation segment last last uh, segment there. I will go with Darius Phillips. And again, I want to preface this by saying, and I, I do this every week, but breakout has varying degrees of definitions, especially when it comes to the Cincinnati Bengals and what we're looking for in 2020. Yeah, it could be someone who makes a Pro Bowl after not doing much the year before. It could be a guy like John Ross, who I think John picked last week, a guy who was had high expectations, has not met them, and maybe will do so this year. It could be a guy who is not expected to make the roster or maybe has a niche role. It, it, it just depends. Darius Phillips kind of is in that Auden Tate mold a little bit at cornerback. You know, he's you're looking at a guy who is potentially your fourth cornerback after after starting a couple of games and making some big plays last year and being a valuable member of special teams. We don't know if Brandon Wilson's going to be your primary kickoff returner or if Darius Phillips will. Both were incredibly effective at the position last year on special teams. Darius Phillips has a knack to make big plays, to get into the end zone, and to get into the end zone as not an offensive player. Uh, he does it on special teams and on defense. Brandon Wilson kind of had that knack too in college, by the way. But I just think Darius Phillips, he's one of those guys that will come in, and especially where the league is now, you need to be at least three corners deep, four corners deep, to be effective on defense. He will be that guy. He is incredibly athletic. He has a knack for making big plays. He'll probably frustrate you at times because he will get beat. If you saw that game towards the end of the year when the Bengals beat the Browns, he had, I believe, two interceptions in that game, but he did get beat by Odell uh, in, in the end zone and on another big catch in that same game. So, you know, he has a penchant to be beat a little bit, but I think if you have him down in that number three, number four corner where he's guarding uh, someone a little bit more manageable and is still on the field, I think he can use that athleticism and big playability to really help this defense and maybe make it be a little bit more like, if you remember, John, the 05 defense, very opportunistic. They, they had some trouble stopping players or stopping teams rather, but they really turned the ball over well. They did get off the field on third down here and there, and and maybe that's where this offense or this defense rather moves into after such a poor year last year. He's going to be important, one way or another. Whether it's early in the season or later in the season, he's going to be called upon. Like you just need as much depth at cornerback as possible. It's such an important position, and if your starters go down, you need guys to take those supplementary reps, and even. Even when you have your three starters still healthy, a guy like Darius Phillips to just come off the bench in your dime packages, either covering the slot or covering the boundary, depending on where you want to move the other guys around, he's going to be important. And he's going to probably play more snaps this year than he did last year. And I think he was on track to play a lot of snaps snaps last year had he not gotten hurt and put on uh, IR designated to return and missed about eight to 10 weeks. So like they're, they're going to want to utilize his skill set. They have two years left of his rookie contract. They understand that the ball skills exist. Like everyone knows he's known for his ball skills. That was the thing since his days back in Western Michigan, when he was just a touchdown machine, essentially. So they're going to get him involved. They're going to have to get involved probably because injuries are just, it's just, it's just a theme with, with the cornerback position in the Bengals and, he's going to be important depth. So regardless if he's not a starter right now, as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be called upon and he's going to do his best to prove him worthy of this list. I don't remember if we did drew sample as a breakout player. I know we did Mitchell Wilcox, but we're getting some, some 
talk about Drew Sample as well. So well, we did <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever. Like, I think I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not here to, to stand Drew Sample and make him into something that he isn't. I think it, it, it there is some value to him working out with Joe Burrow in the offseason and potentially forming some type of relationship and chemistry as well because God only knows that this that this that this channel and its its listeners love Thaddeus Moss and have um, relayed that message to me on countless occasions. We're gonna have, to have a special episode if the Bengals ever pick that guy up, man. Oh my God! Yeah, I might have to resign at that point. But <laughs> if Burrow does, <laughs> the Thaddeus Moss role, I guess, can't be doesn't have to be filled by someone who's has uber athleticism or field stretching ability. It just has to be a guy that you have to rely on in terms of getting to your spots and the timing and, and whatever. And if that happens to be drew sample, then it's going to be drew sample. And I think he, he you know, I, they did this whole thing in terms of media propaganda last year, where they made him into like always oh, looking like Rob Gronkowski on OTAs. He plays a season. He has like a handful of catches and he plays like a hundred snaps and he's on IR by the middle of the season. And the one thing that he was supposed to do well block, he was terrible at that. And he was just horrendous and he made the run game worse. I think they're going to give him a lot of opportunities to do better and to prove himself worthy of the draft pick that, that they spent on him last year. It was questionable at that but if there is a connection being formed with Burrow to fill that role that he likes so much at LSU, then I think Sample is the guy to watch out for because I think Uzoma is still starting at, at tight end. He's going to get those opportunities first. But again, like th- this is a new this is a new regime. This is a new quarterback. This is an, an entirely new system. And if Sample happens to be the guy that as the season goes on, starts taking those snaps and those targets away from Uzoma, leaves Uzoma more expendable and it props up Sample as a guy that they want to see improvement and they want to see him develop and more integrated into the offense based off the investment that they've already put into him. So I think for what Sample is, he can be that underneath guy for Joe Burrow to kind of re- rely on and potentially um, overachieve in terms of what the expectations are for him from maybe a fantasy standpoint or just an expect- or overall second-year tight end expectation standpoint. And we don't know if, if that position is going to be that involved in this offense or not, but he's just a guy that I think, you know, he's he's a better athlete than what he's probably advertised, but he's not going to wow you in terms of what George, uh, George Kittle can do. But again, if there is a connection being formed there, then it's something to watch as, as the season goes on. And maybe Zoma kind of gets phased out of the offense in favor of Sample because they that, that's a guy that was drafted by this regime and is a guy that potentially is forming chemistry with the quarterback. I think the reason why you may or may not remember Drew, Drew Sample being on this list is because I think I maybe talked about him early early on, but I'm glad you brought it. If that is the case, we have to go back and look. Uh, we should probably have these logged, but um, we, we, we don't usually repeat ourselves. Regardless, it's, it's good that you brought him back up if it was indeed a second time because of the recent social media posts coming out with Joe Burrow, Drew Sample, and all of those guys working out, whether it's with weights, throwing routes, all that kind of stuff. And that is a big thing. And I've I've said that I think that Drew Sample is a big key to the Bengals' early success in this, this season and next season, I think, because much like maybe leaning on a Joe Mixon helps a rookie quarterback, I think your point about Burrow liking that position – at LSU in Thaddeus Moss and 
when we talked to Ken Anderson, he talked about as a young quarterback, he liked the big tight ends that can move the chains and do things across the middle of the field. I think that that's going to be a big key for, for Burroughs development. And I think that Drew Sample, if he's healthy and maybe now that Tyler Eifert's out of the picture, they don't need to feed the ball to Tyler Eifert. They can come up with a specific set of schemes for Drew Sample that really helps this offense. If he's healthy, I don't expect him to be, again, like I said about some other players, I don't expect him to be all world, all pro, but I think he's a very well-rounded player when he's healthy and used correctly. Yeah, and again, that, that might be all that they need him to be. Like, um, I, I don't want them to try to make him into something that he isn't for the sake of pr- validating that pick. But if he does, again, become an integral part of the offense because of the connection that he forms, then so be it. That, that's just how this will have to evolve and, and grow as, as they go because the, the lack of offseason, the lack of OTAs and all that stuff, it, it's it's going to adjust a lot of things and it's going to make the roster, I guess, I guess more predictable than in normal years because they're just not they're, some of these younger guys and lower level guys are just not going to have that many opportunities. So you have to think that Sample had a, a role carved out for him as the offseason began and with things not really changing, the status quo not really being altering by anything that happened in the offseason, then that role is going to be in place for him as the season begins. And it's just up to him to, t- to try to run with that and, and see where it goes. And it may not go anywhere, but he'll still have two more years to kind of prove his worth here. But if it does, then then great. Yep. So those are our two potential Bengals breakout players for this week, Darius Phillips and Drew Sample. We've gone back and forth a little bit about doing two each and one each, depending on time. We've gone a little long today, so we're we're keeping it to one each, but we're going to continue this list as we go on through training camp and uh, into the regular season. Let's get on out of here, John. What do you got for us before we uh, – let's drop the mic and get out of here. What do you, what do you have for us? Yeah, if if the Bengals do sign that defensive tackle that played for them for over a decade, we're going to need some help from the comment section to, to tell is is it pronounced Pico or Peco? Because I feel like on this podcast we've had we've had two different pronunciations of that name. Well, we have a lot of uh, people who uh, are very adamant about pronunciation of certain names. They don't like how I say Alden Tate sometimes. And there's, there's a lot of different, uh, different people who really monitor that stuff. So if someone can get a definitive thing, or we can get that guy on this show to set the record straight, I would, I was a little worried about Takeo. Was it Takeo? Was it Takeo when he was on the show? Takeo. It's Takeo. But I was like, Oh, whatever, you know, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I always said Pico, but maybe that's not right. I think I've also said Echo though. <laughs> like I, I, I saw him when I was a kid. I was like eleven. I saw him in like a, a restaurant in Cincinnati, and I yelled out Pecco at him, and he just like gave me like a soft little wave or whatever. So I, he responded to that. So I mean, if you're responding to eleven year old kid, he would definitely respond to us. Well, we're getting a lot of Peccos in the in the in the live chat. So um, I guess that's how you pronounce it. But at any we rate, will never grow up, Brandon Vega. Never. I know. I know. I'm I'm super immature. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I don't really have too much except for to ask you to listen to some of these great interviews that not only our show has had, but DNH Sports, um, Orange is the New Black, Chalk Talk. Go listen to some of these. If, if, you know, maybe the full podcast isn't your thing, we've had a lot of uh, different interviews with a lot of current and former Bengal players across the Cincy Jungle podcast channel recently, really throughout 2020. And uh, it's been really great. So even. 
you know, we played the Duke Tobin interview earlier that John uh, was, was a part of there. So, you know, if you haven't had the chance, go back into some of our libraries and our archives and check out some of the interviews we've had. We've had some great names on this program and throughout the channel. So uh, just kind of want to re-promote that in case you haven't had the chance to check those out. And of course, join us Friday afternoon, Eastern time for listener questions live this week, a couple days from now, as of this live recording, join us then, and we will field your questions. So get those to us, whether it's email, call, text, through cincyjungle.com, on Twitter, all that good stuff, we'll take that. For John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Cazenza. Thanks for sticking with us, especially for a slightly longer show this week, but we had a lot to get to with training camp starting. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us live. 